Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, you know, this is certainly a time of year where there's a lot of cooking that goes on. It doesn't matter a lot whether that's Christmas or New Year's. There's a lot of cooking and there's a lot of food. Have, have you ever left out like one of those really critical ingredients in the food because you were talking to somebody or you got a text message or something happened while you were in the middle of cooking it? Must be just me. No, it's never happened. That's because you've never cooked. <laughs> the, uh, well, Luke and I both really enjoy baking, and and so we each of us do breads, and uh, I, we periodically trade uh, epic fail stories. You know, when when something goes bad, and um, you know, it wasn't too long ago that I forgot to put any salt in the bread, and my girls were like something's missing. I'll go fault the puppy, and we. Uh, but years back, um, I had failed to put in any yeast uh, in a loaf of whole wheat bread. I had about two pounds worth of flour and water, and I forgot to put any yeast in. And and at that time, I was uh, this was I was using one of those automatic bread bakers, uh, bread machines that once were in vogue and have kind of disappeared again. And, uh, don't have one, don't use it anymore, don't give me one, I'm okay. Um, but but at that time, it was just really convenient. I'd you know, throw the stuff in, push the button, go off to the lab, come back home after work, and you know, supposedly there'd be bread, but in this case, there was this brick. <clears throat> you know, a two-pound thick brick, you know, fused to the bottom of the uh, of the bread maker. And, you know, there's... There's a little stir thing, and so it's got out. It was embedded in there permanently, semi-permanently. I mean, it's bread. You can break it apart. Um, but like I said, I need a way to turn my fail into some kind of success by renaming this. Uh, and so I, I said to my wife, Karen, I said, this is actually Mongolian bedwarmer bread. Because you heat it up and you put it under your sheets. And, you and, and to me, in those days, Mongolia was just this far-off place that I'd never go. Uh, and, you know, it just sounded exotic to call it that. But the fact is, if you leave out a critical ingredient, everything suffers, and you have a fail instead of what you intended to be there. I want to share with you this morning, looking at the life of Jesus, a really critical ingredient for us. I think the end of the year is an especially important time for us to get a hold of this, because when we take a look at our year, yeah, I don't know if you kind of take stock of things here at this moment at the end of a year or not. It's admittedly a bit artificial uh, because the calendar is just going to keep rolling over. Uh, and next week is another week like last week was. But it is kind of natural that we hit the end of a calendar cycle, kind of look back over the year. And many of us, we've had a lot of things that were just great. and We feel really blessed. And yet also, each of us, there's things where we look at and we say, this was a hard thing. This year, I want to talk about this critical ingredient of giving thanks because there is power in sacrificial thanksgiving. And there's something that happens when we can come to the Lord and give thanks that transforms loss into worship. Can we pray? Dear Lord Jesus, we pray you'd open our eyes to see you more clearly. And Lord, that everything that's happening in our lives that we would gain you. Lord, that we would know you deeper, that we'd see you more clearly. 
Lord, that by beholding you, we'd be transformed to be more like you. Lord, I want to thank you, even as we begin to open your word together, that you can be and genuinely are all in all. You're the hope of the whole earth. Lord, you're the light of the world. You are heaven's glory and delight. And Lord, in our own lives, we lift our eyes to look to you. And we declare again, you're precious, you're worthy, and you're wonderful to us. Amen. Amen. Uh, if you turn with me in your in your Bible, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 29. And, and there there's a little verse that we're not particularly turning to in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18, that many of you have inflicted on your children or had inflicted on you when you were when you were young, where the Bible says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How many know that can be really hard? Sometimes. And, and if this verse of give thanks in all circumstances because it's God's will for you in Christ Jesus, if you if you take that as a commandment and a law that you're supposed to live up to and obey, it can feel almost like God is trying to extract out of us this thanks that we, we don't want to bring, but we have to do because God insists on it. And, it. and you start to think of God like this drill sergeant who expects you to thank him for the horrible thing you're going through. And, and that's really not the heart of God in, in bringing that. Uh, instead, when God says, give thanks in all circumstances, it's a reminder for us to realize that the will of God is big enough and good enough that no matter what's going on, we have much to give thanks for. And, and this is so evident when Jesus is approaching his own death. Jesus did not go to the cross and suffer and die and get caught by surprise by that. The gospel accounts of Jesus's life are very clear that Jesus, more than anyone else involved, knew what was coming. That Jesus, more than anyone else who was involved, was consciously and intentionally preparing for that day in that moment when he would be arrested, suffer, die, and rise again. And so there's this moment uh, right before Jesus is arrested that we call the Last Supper, where Jesus is sharing the Passover meal with his disciples, with his friends. And, and he's very aware that his suffering and his death are just about to happen. And as Jesus shares the Passover meal with his disciples, he embodies this principle that I'm hoping will sink in for our own hearts today about the power of sacrificial thanksgiving. So read with me here in Matthew 26, verse 26. The Bible says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And said, excuse me, gave thanks and broke it. And gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup. What did he do? And he offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. And then when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And there's something so profound here about Jesus giving thanks while he's giving himself away. And it's just as profound for you and I to learn to give thanks when we're giving ourselves 
away. Because many times it can feel so hard to give away what God's calling us to give to him. And yet see what Jesus does. He took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. Then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he offered it. And in those moments here, well, for Jesus here, he's right on the brink of eternity. If you've been here over the last several weeks, you know we spent four weeks taking a closer look at eternity and how God's put eternity in our hearts, intends us to live forever with him. Sin broke our relationship. Jesus restores it. And we can live confidently in hope of eternity with Jesus forever. Jesus is right on the brink of eternity here, sharing the Passover meal with his disciples. He knows he's about to be arrested and crucified. He's at the moment where he knows that suffering is awaiting him. And he takes the bread and he gives thanks and he breaks it. There's something profound about giving thanks to God when we're giving ourselves away. When things that are precious to us are even being taken from us. When it's not the most willing of offerings to nonetheless come and give thanks in the midst of that sacrifice. Because giving thanks ensures that our sacrifice is worship, not loss. Giving thanks ensures that our sacrifice is worship, not loss. The meal that Jesus is sharing with his disciples here is is the Passover. This is, is a an annual event, a festival that the Jewish people, God's people, would celebrate to remember their deliverance from Egypt. Because for 400 years, the Israelites had been slaves in Egypt. And when God came to deliver them from slavery, there was a day, there was a night, where he told all of them to sacrifice a lamb, to put the blood on their doorposts, and the angel of death would pass over their own households. And they were delivered from death and ultimately uh, from slavery in Egypt as well. And so the meal Jesus is sharing with his disciples, it's a special meal. It's a festival that they were accustomed to observing. And what Jesus is doing in this moment, he's saying that festival is talking about what I'm about to do. He says, this bread, this is my body. This blood, this cup, it's my blood of the covenant. He says, this celebration of deliverance that you've been looking back towards is what's about to be fulfilled in my death and resurrection. And it's no accident that Jesus chooses the Passover to institute what we observe now as the Lord's Supper. Jesus is saying, I am your Passover. I am God's deliverance for you. This body of mine that's being broken is the sacrifice that brings you forgiveness and deliverance. This blood of the covenant is your security. It's your assurance that no matter what plagues and judgment come on the earth, God will see you through into eternity. And it's a precious thing. So he's saying, so take and eat, every one of you. Here, take and drink, each of you. Participate in the benefit of my sacrifice. And as Jesus offers himself, he gives thanks. That's that's powerful. It's mind-boggling. It's counterintuitive to say, all right, I know I'm about to suffer and die, and so I'm going to thank God for that. I think many times for, for you and I, sometimes we can see it coming, You know, sometimes the things we fear, the troubles that we face, they're coming at us like in slow motion. And it's like you can see it coming. You know, it's going to happen. 
The sickness is getting worse. The marriage is falling apart. The job security is gone. You can see conflicts happening. You can see things coming. And you can tell internally, uh uh-oh, I may be losing what's precious to me. But you have an opportunity in that moment, each of us do, just like Jesus did, to turn what could be taken away into a worshipful offering. And giving thanks to God is transformative. It transforms for us loss into worship. And the part of the principle that the Lord instituted for his people after he delivered them from Egypt, part of what the Passover shows us is that worship always costs us something. That, that there is no genuine worship without some degree of sacrifice in the mix somehow. So God instituted for them a method, of, a principle of worship where every time they'd come before the Lord, if they come to the presence of God, they need to bring something as an offering. You need to represent physically the preciousness of the Lord, the worth of God compared to other priorities and other things that they have so that the very stuff of life becomes the the currency of worship. And so that when we come and we say, Lord, you, you matter, worship is talking about worth and saying, God, you are worth to me. God said, so bring something. Don't come empty handed. And in generations after the Passover, generations after God's people were delivered from Egypt, when they were in a kingdom, one of the kings, King David, expressed this principle so well. He said in Second Samuel 24, 24, I will not offer to the Lord sacrifices that cost me nothing. And when our, our thanksgiving and our sacrifice come together, something powerful happens. God does something supernatural where if you just add up the, you know, the, the two plus two of the stuff and you, you put it together, you'd only get four, but somehow God supernaturally does so much more than it just adds up to. And when you're, when you're giving something to the Lord, when you're having to release something that's precious to you, whether it's willingly or unwillingly, I want to tell you this. Give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord. Because it's thanksgiving that turns loss into worship. And and so let's take a closer look. It says Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And then he took the cup, and he gave thanks, and he offered it. What's What's he saying thanks for? I mean, when Jesus gives thanks, what's he giving thanks for? It, it's a moment where the temptation is to do the opposite, to be anti-thankful, to be resentful of the friend that's going to betray me. And, you know, I've done everything right. If anybody has never done anything wrong, it's Jesus. Right? And still he's going to suffer. And so what is he giving thanks for? Right? He's anticipating his own suffering and death. And he's giving thanks while he's showing his disciples what's about to come. And... The text does not actually explain it directly. There's not a spot where Matthew says for us, and he gave thanks saying, quote, quote, you know, that give it to us directly. But there are some clues in the passage that point us in the direction of some things that Jesus is doing here when he gives thanks. And one of those is just the habit. He's giving thanks for the provision of what he's about to offer. And I combine this. I think he's giving thanks for the provision of the offering and the miracle that God's going to do. 
Uh, I say that because we saw the same pattern when Jesus fed the 5,000, when he had some bread and some fish that time rather than some bread and some wine. Uh, And we see in his thanksgiving that he's giving thanks for the provision and for the coming miracle of what God's going to do. Secondly, there's clues in the passage that show us that Jesus is giving thanks that God is in control even over the sinful actions of men. And thirdly, he's giving thanks for a secure future as he looks ahead to the day that he drinks it anew with them in his father's kingdom. There's these three elements, and they show that he's simultaneously looking back and looking forward in his thanksgiving by faith. So let's look at those in a little more detail. Firstly, he's giving thanks for the provision itself and what God's going to do with it, the miracle that God's going to do through his offering. Um, Let's face it, everything we have, it came from the Lord. Every good thing that we have that we want to keep hold of, everything that's precious to us, that's good and lovely, it's come from our Father in heaven. There's things we want to get rid of, but the good things, the things that we want to hold on to, They've all come from the Lord. And so the very provision of an offering, it's come from the Lord in the first place. And so whenever we're coming to make an offering to the Lord, whether it's gladly because we're already full of thanks or whether we're struggling to convert a loss into worship, we need to recognize that every good thing I have has come from the Lord. So God, thank you that you've given me something I can give you. Lord, thank you that you've given me the provision. Uh, so that what I have, which is already yours, I can offer back to you and honor you as the source and the rightful owner of it all. Now, I find that hard when I'm trying to hold on to something I don't want to let go of. And, and the Lord sees our hearts. He knows that. He remembers our frame. He knows that we're dust. It's not like it's a secret to God that that's hard. You know, and yet, yet that is that is what worship is. Is that we bring back to God what's already His. Say, Lord, you're worth this. I think it's one of the reasons why so many of the offerings in the Old Testament were just burned up. To show that, it, okay, it belongs to the Lord. I have nothing left from this. But I'm showing that the Lord is worth it all to me. And so we can let go of what we're giving. Because it's going back to the one to whom it's always belonged to. And so when we give thanks, when we break, give thanks and break it, we're saying, thank you, God, for the opportunity to give this back to you. Thank you, God, for entrusting this to me for a time. Now at the end of the season, I'm offering it back to you, Lord. It's yours. And there's also the future hope element of it, that we believe that what we offer to the Lord, can God can do more with it in his hands than you and I can in our own. And we give thanks for the way that God can use what we offer to him. And in this case, it's Jesus's own life. When he offers himself, he's got nothing left. He's not thinking about, okay, well, I, I can manage without that because it's everything. It's all, it's his own life. And, and he, Luke's gospel in Luke 22, uh, Luke in, includes a a little additional sentence uh, in Jesus' quote that clues us in on how Jesus is looking forward. It it says in Luke's Gospel, 22, 15, and 16, it says, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you 
before I suffer. For I tell you, I'll not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of heaven. Very parallel to Matthew's account, but it has this extra element of Jesus saying, I've eagerly desired to share this meal with you. And you know, when he says that, we can see how he's aligned himself with the Father's will. He says, there's an eagerness in sharing this. I know that my suffering is coming. And he's not eager to face his suffering in the cross. We find that as he prays in the garden, that there's not an eagerness about the suffering and the sacrifice. But he brings an eagerness to the Passover because there's there's an expectation here that sharing this together, that this offering, this breaking of the bread and the Passover together, the sharing of the cup and the Passover together, and that the sacrifice of his suffering will find its fulfillment. It's not in question to Jesus. It's secure to him. Lord, you're going to take my life, but you're going to do something so wonderful, so saving for all humanity through that. And I'm going to get to see and be part of that in the coming kingdom. That's a beautiful faith. He's looking forward as well as being thankful for what God's already given him. Does that make sense? Thanks, Dirk. Glad you're, glad you're listening. Everybody else is really quiet. Right? And so there's this element, when we give thanks, we're saying, God, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for what you're going to do. And then in the midst of the moment, there's also a confidence that we can have, like Jesus had here, where we can know that God's in control of a situation that's out of our own control. Jesus is giving thanks and entrusting himself to the Father in the face of other people's sin being the instrument through which God's going to work out his will. So he's saying, thank you, God, that you're in control, even when the instrument is sinful people. Part of the scandal of the cross is that God used people's sin to bring our salvation through the death of Jesus Christ. God is still in control, and He's we can still say thanks, even when... What's happening to us is happening because of other people's sin. That can be one of the hardest places for you and I to thank the Lord. When other people are doing wrong that harms us. Jesus, when he was on the cross, he could still see it then. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When we suffer because of other people's sin, and it happens distressingly often, you can look even at events during this year, where you'd say, this could be so different if only so-and-so hadn't such-and-such. But when we suffer because of other people's sin, still we give thanks. We say, thank you, God, that you're in control. Thank you that you're bigger than. I, I liked how Joanna said that you're bigger enough. Amen. And then the, the third element of Jesus is giving thanks. It, it puts a sharper point on his faith for the future. That Jesus is operating in faith about as he approaches his own self-sacrifice, that his own future is secure. Did you see in verse 29 that he says, until, until I drink it with you anew in my father's kingdom. He's confident that he will drink it with them anew in his father's kingdom, even though he's about to die. 
There's a security that we have in Christ about our future that empowers us to say, thank you, God, no matter what I'm going through now, even if I lose everything, even my life, I still have everything because I have Christ. There's a security that we have for our future, just as Jesus has, that empowers us to give thanks and thereby have victory even in the face of loss. See, it's not just that we're confident that God will use our offering. We're confident as well that God will guard our souls, that he is our life and he will not let us go. For you and I, we give thanks in confident faith that our future is secure in Jesus Christ. That when Jesus gave his own life, he secured yours and mine. When Jesus rose again, he secured that we will rise again with him through faith in Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, that means that there is no sacrifice that you and I make voluntarily or that we endure that can be the end of us. No sacrifice can be the end of you because Jesus rose again. And when Jesus is at the Passover meal with his disciples and he takes the bread, he gives thanks and he breaks it. And then he takes the cup and he gives thanks and he offers. He says, this is my body. This is my blood of the covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I will drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. Brothers and sisters, we have a secure future. You know, it was it was brought home to me yesterday. Our, Our family was was able to participate in the wedding of the daughter of dear friends of ours that we've known for for years and years. In fact, um, you know, I know we have a lot of young families here, you know, and some of you may be feeling the transition that happens when you shift from that that age when you're in one another's weddings to when you're just chasing your kids and, and each other's kids. And you're like, what what just happened here? Uh, and and there is a day that comes when you're going to the weddings of each other's kids. Uh, and that's a really sweet and special thing. Uh, there is something so special about being planted in the house of the Lord, but by which I mean sharing long-term relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ, in church, doing life, fellowship together over decades. You know, as, as so many of these little children grow up, as you're, if, as you're planted in this church, you have a chance to grow up with one another. You have a chance to celebrate the goodness and the mercy of the Lord, following each other through good times and hard times and through all the days of your life. It's a beautiful thing. And so it was like a double privilege for Karen and I because we were reminiscing about the wedding of our friends while their daughter is getting married because we were at their wedding. And their daughter used to babysit for our kids. And it was just a beautiful and, and really sweet, special time. Um, and so the wedding itself was lovely, but I wanted to, to highlight something that was special to me about just being in the context of some of the other people who were sitting with us. Because it just so happened that where our younger daughter picked a seat for us, uh, we ended up with all the folks around us we've known for over 25 years. And, and there was a point where it sunk in for me that here sitting at my left hand is a widow who lost her husband almost exactly this time of year, two years ago. And and right in front of me are dear friends who are just fighting with faith and determination against her cancer. 
and it's against a terrible prognosis, and they're they're really going through it. And sitting right next to them is my friend whose divorce was finalized in October. He's sitting with his teenage daughter. And we sang, How Great Thou Art Together. Every one of these friends is raising their hands in worship. And they're saying, God, how great you are. And I want to invite you to that kind of sacrificial thanksgiving. I want to invite you to not miss the opportunity here at the very end of 2018, such as it is, it's a calendar moment. It's a blip in time, but it's an opportunity for you and I to look back over the things that have happened during this year, some of which set our feet dancing and we celebrate and say, oh, that's so good. And some things we look at and we say, thank you, God. I'm so glad I got to be part of this thing. Some things we look at and say, that was so hard. Some things we're still looking at and we're saying, it shouldn't have been that way. It's not the way it's meant to be. I want to invite you, while the younger kids are still downstairs, while we have some time together, to come to the Lord with thanks and to take this moment and and take these things that God's put in our hands, some of which feel like they've been ripped out of our hands, or you're looking ahead and you're seeing a train wreck coming, saying, ah, and you're trying to hang tight, to open your hands, to open your heart. And as we share communion together, to come as Jesus did, to take the bread and give thanks. And to take the cup and give thanks. And to take the things that you willingly offer this year, that you're thankful for being able to give, and the things that up until today you've not been able to give thanks for, and offer it to the Lord. And say, Lord, I'm thankful that I even had this for the time that I had it. Lord, thank you for what you will do. I haven't seen it yet. I don't know how it's going to work out, God, but I believe you could do a miracle through me offering this to you. To thank him that he's still in control, even when it's someone else's sin that's brought about the situation. And to thank him that even if everything else is gone in your life, you still have everything if you have Jesus. Can we do that? Joe's going to come back up. Luke's going to lead us in communion. And as we receive the bread and the cup, it's the evidence of the body and blood, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself. It embodies in a physical form the very good news of the kingdom that God gave himself so that we would live. He can transform the death of the innocent one into glory. There's nothing he can't take in our lives and make beautiful in his time.